Okay, let's look at God's word now, and I'm just waiting for the PowerPoint. There it is, the will and beneficiaries. Galatians 3, 15 to 29. Our passage begins with an interesting concept. There's a Greek word in there that kind of uses, is used in a number of different ways. It's most often used outside of the scriptures in reference to what we would call last will and testament. So this Greek word that was written into our scriptures 2,000 years ago, the common use of this Greek word would have been in reference to last wills and testaments. This Greek word, of course, translates also the Hebrew word covenant. In the scriptures, we have that word covenant, you know, and this Greek word is, is in the New Testament translates that. We'll, we'll see it appear and used a number of times in Galatians 3 and, and following. And, and I just have right behind us Galatians 3, 15 to 16. And there you see the word appearing. And it's used as to a human covenant. So to clarify in reference to a, a will, a last will and testament. As a pastor, I have had the privilege at times to encourage someone in writing out a will. And I'm just going to mention this. If you don't have a will, it is important that you have a will. There are times I do funerals and there, are no, there is no will. And the family is just distraught. It causes a lot of stress, confusion, can cause arguments, all kinds of things. A will is very important. Sometimes I've had the privilege to speak into someone's will. People ask, Pastor, what should I all put in a will? And then at times, pastors have the privilege of being an executor of an estate. That means at the end, making the will take place, we could say. When I've helped people in writing their wills, I remind them that they can leave their estate or any portion of their estate to whomever they, they want. There are no rules in regard to this. A will is a legal declaration of a person's wishes regarding the disposal of his or her property after death. And so when we look at this scripture passage and we see there the words to a human covenant that has been duly established, and you're going to find the word covenant either even further appearing, and we've already seen that word covenant appear a number of times in the book of Galatians. Just keep this in mind. You know, a will can be changed by the person who has written the will as long as they are still alive. <laughs> you know, yeah, once they die, well, they're dead, right? So as long as they're alive, they can still change the will, but it's not so easy. You just can't go and take a will and scratch something out. You just can't do that, cross out something. You can't do that. The original will would have to be revoked, and then it would have to be replaced. And to make sure that this is done legally, a lawyer or a notary should be involved in the process. A will is a covenant or a promise. 
that becomes fulfilled upon death. So a father says to his children, when I die, all that I have will be yours. It's in the will. Okay? That means the estate will go to the children. And upon the death of the father, this becomes true. Or the mother, whoever is the last surviving in reference to the will. We continue to study here in the book of Galatians. And we're going to focus on Galatians 3:15 to 29. God makes a promise, a will, a covenant with Abraham. And in that, he says, all people will be blessed through your seed, he says to Abraham. All people will be blessed through your seed. Singular, it's noted in our scripture text. We'll take a closer look at that. This is the first found in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, where God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's repeated, and it's affirmed. And in fact, it becomes more than a promise. It becomes a covenant. So there, Galatians 3, 15 and 16, it says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises, that's the covenant, were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scriptures does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. You see, when God made this promise to Abraham, he already had Jesus in mind. I've already mentioned Jesus is in mind right there in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus is woven through the scriptures. God promised the blessing of salvation through faith. But it doesn't come into effect until Jesus dies. And the blessing is a blessing to all people. It's missions month. The blessing is for all people and it's through one person. Abraham's faith was based on a promise, and today our faith is also based on a promise. Abraham was looking forward to the promise. We're looking back to the promise. And a promise is a promise, and it's not connected to what we do. And that's something we need to realize for a promise to bring, bring about a result, it needs only to be believed in. But for law to bring about a result, it needs to be obeyed. Big difference between the two. So Galatians 3, 17 to 18 says, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant. And I put in brackets the will. Okay? previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. 
For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So, for example, if I say to you, my Uncle Jack, and I don't have an Uncle Jack, not that I'm aware of, okay? <laughs> but if I say to you, my Uncle Jack wants to leave you, his, in his will, $10 million. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? The only way that you can receive this or fail to receive it would be if you don't believe or believe, right? You know, if you believe, you'll receive. If you fail to believe, you won't receive. But if, on the other hand, I were to say to you, my Uncle Jack is willing to leave you an inheritance of $10 million, but you're going to have to go and live with him and take care of him in his old age, and when you have fulfilled these requirements upon his death, you will receive. Is that a promise? Two are totally different, aren't they? One is connected to works. The other one is just connected to a promise. Big difference. The promise, the covenant, and the law are two totally different things. You might say, though, and we've been working this through. We've been looking at it from different angles, and that's what Paul is doing here. God is guiding Paul so that we look at this from different sides, so that we understand grace, that we understand the promise. So you may say, Pastor, I'm still confused. Why the law? And it can be confusing. Can The same question is asked by the Galatian churches. We, we see it right there in our scripture passage. Why then was the law given at all? Okay, if it's all about a promise. Where does this law stuff come in? Why this law stuff? And it's messing us up, right? Even still today, it messes us up. There are people that say that we need to follow the law. There's people talk about dietary things and all kinds of stuff. We get messed up. Why then was the law given at all? Our scripture says it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. The law is an important part of the in-between story. We need to realize that. Let's not just ignore it and throw it away or anything else like that. It's part of the in-between story. And we need to understand the in-between story so then we understand the law and the promise. God gave the law to Moses through angels to guide the nation Israel. The law was to help the nation Israel to realize its need for a savior. Let's paint the picture for a moment. I'll take a couple of seconds here to paint the picture. Israel, a nation was birthed in captivity. Israel was a nation, we could say, of slaves. It was birthed in Egypt. Seventy plus entered Egypt. Over two million exit Egypt. Slaves. And God gives Moses and the nation Israel the law. 
And the law guides and directs the nation Israel. It has dietary laws and it has laws for daily living. I find it so funny. I'll just share one of the laws. You probably don't even know this. But it says in the scriptures, it says, and you can read it for yourself. It's good to read the Bible. It tells the Israelites when, when they go out of the camp, they're supposed to take a little shovel with them and dig a hole and do their stuff and cover it up. Yeah, it's in the scriptures. The Bible is interesting. More than that, it's the word of God. But just little stuff like that, there for the nation Israel. Abraham, before he believed in God, was under the laws of the Gentile world. Laws always existed. Always existed. Don't fool yourself. They were always there. Melchizedek, another Old Testament saint, was under the laws of the Gentile world. You and I are under the laws of the Gentile world. That's what we were before we came to know Christ. And so that the churches in Galatia, some of them are Jews, they were under the Jewish law. Some of them were Gentiles, and they were under the laws of the Gentile world. Noah was under the laws of the Gentile world. And it was by these laws that they came to know God. We need to realize that. You've grown up in a secular world under laws and rules, and living in that secular world. You came to know Christ through those laws, we could say. They shaped, they directed you. You yearned for something better. There was a yearning deep down inside of you that said, there's got to be more. You're yearning for peace. You're yearning for something to take away the shame and the guilt. Always were laws, thou shalt not murder lying, stealing. The laws were there. They are there in our secular world. They're not perfect, the laws, no. And we know that the secular laws can't be kept, okay? Maybe you can, but I can't. I find myself breaking the speed limit way too often. You know, secular laws can't be kept. And I find myself doing other things too. Why would I want to? And this is the argument that's going on here. Why would I want to take myself? I'm submitting to secular laws. Why would I now want to move over to submitting myself to the Mosaic law? Why would I want to do that? Do I think that going underneath the Mosaic law, I will somehow be able to keep those laws? I can't keep the secular laws. What makes me think that I'll keep the Mosaic law? Why would I even do that? Why would I torture myself to something like that? Doesn't make sense, right? But that's what was happening in the Galatian churches. The Jews were telling the Gentiles, well, you've got to move from there to over here. Then in some way you'll garner God's favor. We know that God's law does reflect the character of God. And I do want to keep that law because it does reflect the character of God. But each time I break the law, I realize that there has to be another way. And that other way is the promise. Through the law, you will never achieve salvation. 
The law is not in conflict to the promise. They're two totally separate things. We need to realize that. In fact, Paul says that Abraham believed and righteousness was credited to him. 430 years later, the law comes. So did God kind of have a change of mind? Did he think that he had to do something different to that last will and testament? Is this an addendum or something like that? And the answer is no, it's not. Just like a will cannot be changed after the fact, so the promises that were made to Abraham can't be changed after the fact. And the law does not change the promise. Even though the law was given after the promise, God didn't change his mind. He didn't revoke the promise. The law was never given to give life. So here we are. Let's look at those verses. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the law doesn't impart life. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law is not in competition with the promise or in any way an add-on to the promise. The law was given as a guardian. Do you notice what it talks about here, about locked up and that? We'll see that in the next verses we're going to look at. The law was given as a guardian. But once the promise is fulfilled, Christ's coming and dying for humanity's sin, the guardian is not needed. There it is, verses 23 and 25. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. There's a picture of maybe a guard and being in prison, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian, the concept of a tutor, that we are a slave and, and, and somebody's taking care of us until Christ came, that we may be justified. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, no longer under a tutor. Change. Yeah, so, so the law was there to make us aware of, but through faith in Jesus, we all become heirs, we all become children of God through faith in Jesus. Give you another illustration. A person, a wealthy person, adopts an unrelated child. He doesn't owe this child anything because the child is completely unrelated. Some of you here this morning are foster parents. Kind of a little bit of this idea would flow through this. The person adopts this child and then as the years pass by, the person writes a will and in their will, they pass everything on to this child. Years pass and now the person is very old and he asks the child to do something. Well, of course, the child would do it because there's a relationship there. 
But now imagine if after the child does it, the child would say to the person, I deserve this inheritance because of what I did. It wouldn't make any sense, right? Because before they did that, they already were written into the will. They already were receiving the inheritance. It's not by obedience. It's by faith. And the promise is for all. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. There's the full connect again. It all goes back again. And heirs according to the promise. So we could say Abraham becomes our spiritual father. The promise that was made to Abraham is a promise to all nations. And all nations are to be blessed through his seed, through Jesus Christ. The invitation to believe in Jesus is given to all. There are no restrictions. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, no restrictions, shall not perish but have eternal life. The promise, the covenant, the will that God made with Abraham states that the beneficiaries are all those who believe. And so you can become a beneficiary of this will by believing. All children are connected of God. All children of God are connected together. Paul reminds the Galatians of this. He reminds us of this. The profession of one's faith is typically followed by baptism. Remember that illustration I just said? So the, the, the individual grows old and somewhere along the way asks the child to do something. And I said, would the child do this because they're in the will? Or would the child do this because of relationship? Because of relationship, right? Paul now shifts us to relationship. And so we believe. Belief involves relationship. And a sign or symbol of that relationship is to be baptized. Baptism is an illustration of what has taken place through faith. I want to remind you that Jesus was baptized and he called all who want to follow him to do the same. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I know you know this verse, but these verses, but we need to be reminded of them. Jesus came to his disciples. This is declared to us today too. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We usually end there, but we shouldn't. 
because the next verses really become the key. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, we die to self and sin and we come alive in Christ Jesus, to Christ. Paul says you put on new clothes. You know, of course you put on new clothes. You put on the garment of righteousness. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. At times it's referred to as a white garment. And when you put on that new garment, you declare your identity to the Lord Jesus Christ. That garment, of course, is, touches your body. Jesus touches your body, your physical life, and what you do and how you live life. He's a part of that. The clothes, the garment of righteousness, it reflects the tastes and the values and the character of Jesus. For it's Jesus' righteousness. It's not your righteousness that you're wearing now. It's Jesus's. And so the garments declare forgiveness. And that it's made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a garment, we could say, of holiness. Wanting to reflect Jesus. Don't take holy in the wrong things. Separated unto God. Separated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Reflecting Jesus. So the promise is for all humanity. Everyone can be a beneficiary. The gospel's for all. Again, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Of course, this is in reference to believers. This is in reference to the church. And the world around us is trying to achieve the same unity. But let's be honest, they're going about it totally backwards. And it doesn't work, does it? But God says this unity has been established through Christ's death on the cross. Now live this unity. It has been purchased. It has been paid for. Now live this unity. And so we live it in the area of culture because we belong to a new kingdom. Yeah, we can brag about the cultures we came from, but we're part of a new culture. We're part of the kingdom of God. And you know what? We're all equal. We're all equal. Rich and poor, it's all taken away. Okay? We're all equal in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in male and female, we are all equal in Jesus Christ. So this should lead to unity in the church. And this morning, I want to just close in this area, saying, you know what, church? We need to be this. This is the church, a house of prayer for all nations, a place where everyone can gather together, Men, women, rich, poor, everyone, all cultures. And we're together, we worship God, and we live Jesus every day.
I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. He's going to, they're going to lead us in singing He Lives. Powerful message. Because He lives. And so I want to challenge us in this area. So maybe we need to start here at this moment and just take a second. Bow your head. And ask God, God, is there racism in my life? Father, show me the derogatory comments I make towards other cultures. Father, I would ask that you would remove this from my heart. For you have already established unity and everyone is welcome into the kingdom. Father, help me not to look at those that are poor or those that maybe manage their money in unwise ways or whatever it all is. Help me not to look down upon them. Help me not to judge them. And then the other way too, Lord. Father, if I look at someone as privileged, Father, remove that from me. Remove that. And then, Father, in that area of relationships of male and female, Father, help me to realize one is not better than the other, but we are different and you have created us different. But together we are complete and we give you thanks for that. Father, work in our hearts transform us into the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.